and welcome to New Business Paradigms. I'm Christy Jansen, Chief of Staff at the World Business Academy. I'm here with Ronaldo Brudico, the Academy's president and founder, and of course, Benjamin Schwartz, our production intern for the radio show, who makes this happen. The World Business Academy is a nonprofit dedicated to elevating the consciousness of people in the business community and encouraging business leaders to use their power and influence to take greater responsibility for the community and the environment that their work touches. We are recording this show on January 25th, 2019. Before we get going, I would like to invite our listeners to reach out to us at info at worldbusiness.org for questions, comments, suggestions on future topics, anything you'd like to let us know about. We'd love to hear from you. And as always, you can listen to this show on the go using Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Blog Talk Radio, however you get your podcasts, just search for World Business Academy. Finally, wanted to let everybody know that we've launched our new weekly radio show, Solutions News, which is live Fridays from 5 to 6 p.m. Pacific Standard Time. And with this upcoming year, we are looking at some really interesting and perhaps perilous times. And the Solutions News is, our, is a, something that we're going to be doing on a weekly basis, and we'd love for our, our listeners of this podcast to tune in as they like. And I don't know, Ronaldo, if you want to tell people a little bit more about that yeah, and why I, we've launched the second that the, yeah, the, the radio I, yeah, show. Yeah, I'd love to. Because um, So this show is about your financial well-being, and, and we, you know, we cover politics in the sense that it affects the economy. Uh, we talk about what's safe to invest and what isn't. In fact, we're going to mention a couple of questions we got from listeners just this last week that we'll cover today on air. And uh, people are very concerned, and they should be. This is uncharted water, but the water is now clearly not only potentially dangerous, there are massive ill effects that are coming. And There's as, sharks in the water. Yeah, and, and they're already biting. Yeah. Okay. So, um, so you know, I, I don't like to be the bearer of bad news. I don't like to be Debbie Downer, but I also like to be accurate. And I certainly don't want people to take ch chances with their life savings. I mean, if you've got 25000 or or 100000 God bless you, if you've been able to save that much up, you don't want to lose it in the craziness that's been going on. And this show has been singularly accurate in predicting what would happen to your money. So, uh, and I'm very proud of the fact last, I guess, October, we predicted that the economy, that the stock market would go sideways or slightly down in 2018. I'm the only economist I know who predicted that. I don't even think Krugman went that far on a limb. And that's what happened. We lost 6.8%. So if you got out of the market, you didn't lose anything. You, it went down a little bit. And you didn't have to deal with the insanity of every day watching the market go up 500 points, down 200 points, up 700 points, down 1,000. I mean, it's, it's crazy what's going on with the market. That volatility is a symptom of a very, very sick system mm -hmm. that is breaking down. And I'll come back to that in a, in a macro level in a moment. Why we launched the second show, Solutions News, is because we wanted to come up with a show that would be only looking at what we can do to fix things. What are the solutions that we're capable of? And we made a commitment when we launched the show two weeks ago, we'll never bring a topic up for which we aren't willing at the same time to bring up the solution, a potential solution. So we call it Solutions News because we tackle big questions, but we say, okay, here's what we can do with those big questions and here's how we can make it work for us. And what my hope is, is that when people listen to Solutions News, it will give them courage in the face of what's going to be increasingly deteriorating economic situation, 
It will give them courage in the face of an increasingly deteriorating political situation, domestic and foreign. It will give them courage to face what's going on in their own communities and to know that they are empowered and that there are more solutions than problems. But those aren't going to come from outside. And they aren't going to come from the buffoon who would be king, or as he's otherwise known, Donald Trump. And I, and I like referring to him as the buffoon who would be king because he wants to be king-like. He wants king-like powers. He doesn't seem to realize that we threw out the last king that we had was in 1776. King George. Who king was George. Similarly a little bit nuts. Similarly a little bit nuts. I, I'm not sure he was as narcissistic as Trump, but he was clearly, you know, and maybe not as much of a sociopath, but he clearly was a little <laughs> bit of a of a wiggy guy. And um, George uh, lost the colonies. Trump is in the process of taking the whole global economy down with him. Mm -hmm. So, um, and I don't want to, I'm not going to say more than that because uh, attacking Donald Trump as an ad hominem attack for the man is um, so obviously easy to do. It's not really worth spending a lot of energy or time on and certainly not airtime on. What I would like to talk about is the substance. So listen to Solutions News. It's available every Friday to Saturday, uh, Friday at five to six o'clock live. We do take an interview every week. There's an interview on the show. Every week, it's during yeah. drive time here in Santa Barbara, station 1290 AM, most powerful station between Camarillo and, um, I guess it goes as far as Lompoc. Through, I think it does go up to Lompoc. The other thing is it does. it is a live stream, so no matter where you're sitting in the world, you can tune in for the live, the live show and uh, through Skype and other of, and uh, the the website you can you can actually reach out to us. Yeah, and, and we we we, um, we pick five to six p.m. because one hundred one the freeway that runs through Santa Barbara is a parking lot at five o'clock. Mm -hmm. People cannot move, so we thought, well, we should give people something more than entertainment. We'll give them a positive upbeat to start their weekend. But I have been told, and it seems it's true that the streaming actually is a higher quality think, signal than I, even yeah, the AM signal. That's that's what I've heard. Even people who are driving, they put it on their stream and they plug in their phone to yeah. Bluetooth, and it's better. Yeah. So there's that, that. If you have any questions, you can uh, contact us at info at worldbusiness.org, and we'll help you get connected to that show as well. But now, why don't we um, now let's turn our faces towards the, to this insanity. The, the other to day 35 of the shutdown. <laughs> oh, man. Okay, so the longest shutdown in the history of the United States. And this one has gotten to the point where it's getting, it, it is critical. As um, today, uh, we sit here, it's the 25th of um, January. January, and uh, LaGuardia Airport in New York closed down yesterday to incoming flights. They reopened and then they closed down again this morning. As of 11 a.m. Uh, this morning, it was still closed. Now, when you have to close one of the largest, most prominent airports in America because you cannot get the safety that you require through air traffic controllers to show up for work because they weren't paid, and therefore some of them don't show up, and even the ones that do are under such stress that you begin to wonder whether what's the safety of the system. And as I was relating to Christy just a few minutes ago, I, I'm really troubled that I'm going to have to leave on a flight to Dallas and Dallas to Houston on Monday, and I don't feel safe. I don't feel safe taking those two flights uh, because I know the system is completely strained, and I hope if there are any stewardesses listening to this, get to your union and tell them to close close the skies, take every stewardess off of every flight. Every flight attendant should leave because it's not safe. Mm -hmm. Every captain of every airliner ought to say, you know what, we're not flying till the system's back up and running. You cannot run the air traffic control system of the United States of America with workers who are not paid. Yeah. Or frankly, with workers who don't show up because it can't be paid. And that's only one of the one of the agencies which is severely oh, yeah. impacted. I mean, all, our our food is vulnerable. The the people who are 
checking our food safety are also not being paid. Some of them are still working. Many but, of them are, though. Most are not. Many of them are not, exactly. And yes, it goes. It's all right for a couple of weeks, but months and months and months. This is no. This is, this this, is this, not no. It's already. It's already at the point now where it's. Uh, the White House put out a number the other day, which I actually think is is optimistic. It's not as good as this. They say that this, this thing is costing one point two to one point three billion dollars a week, which means we've already cost ourselves over six billion dollars with the shutdown, and it's growing. Now, people might ask the question: How can it cost money if you're not paying the laborers? And the answer is because you're going to have to pay them when they come back to work. So mm -hmm. everything they didn't do while they were gone, you're going to have to pay for. And then you're going to have to pay them to come back as well. And what's happening is we are hollowing out the federal bureaucracy. And that may be intentional. It may be that's exactly what Trump wants, mm -hmm. candidly. It's quite scary, but probably true. He knows there's permanent damage to the work, federal workforce mm -hmm. because what brings people to work for the federal government is either they really want to help society and they're willing to take less money than they would get in private enterprise, substantially less usually. Or they come because they think the safety of working right. for the federal government and the pension it's, you'll be guaranteed. It's a government job. It's it's government government jo never shuts. Yeah, government doesn't go broke, et cetera. Whoops. And whoops. Whoops. And so what's happening now is so many people are, are not reporting to work, even though they're afraid of losing their job, because they have to go flip burgers in order to feed their families yeah. and pay the rent. And, and that's just the beginning. The ones who do come who have on their minds, how are they going to pay their mortgage? How are they going to put food on the table? They're running the air traffic control system, and there are fewer of them. It's, it's just incredibly crazy. And then you look at all the airlines. The airlines are now starting to deal with this problem. And I'm not just talking about the lost revenue of federal employees not flying. That's, you know, a couple hundred million. I'm talking about people like me that can do anything to avoid flying right now will do so mm -hmm. because it's not safe. And you're going to see that continue to build. The other thing that's a permanent damage issue is the likelihood that when we go to put all the pieces back, it's sort of like Humpty Dumpty. You know, when Humpty Dumpty falls off the wall, you, you can get all the pieces and you can try to glue them back, but it's never going to be the same. Yeah, those, those edges are not going to be... They're not going to fit. fit. It, Humpty right. Dumpty's going to leak from the inside out. All that glue. And, and there's, it just it's not going to happen. So what's going to happen is we're going to have to rethink everything about the way we've governed ourselves as a nation going forward so this cannot happen. If you didn't notice it, there was a great story this morning that came out about the, the, the disagreement that erupted at the United States Senate yesterday uh, between a number of Republican senators, and they started blaming, specifically Ron Johnson of Wisconsin, laid it on McConnell in public, Mitch, this is your fault, because it is Mitch McConnell's fault. Mm -hmm. He's the one who's been unwilling to hold the president accountable. And it's interesting, when they put two bills forward yesterday in the Senate, one of them uh, was a bill by the Democrats that basically said, open the government for three weeks, and we'll negotiate something with border security. Mm -hmm. Six Republicans crossed over and voted, voted for that. Them, okay. Which meant that there was a 40, I don't know, what was it, 47, 48 Democrats voted, I guess, and six. So like 54 votes. For, to so, open the government. To open the government mm -hmm. with no strings attached. Just open right. the government and we'll talk. Get open, then we can talk, yeah. Because otherwise Which is what the Republicans did, by the way, to the Democrats in the past, when the Democrats were well, trying to show... Forget about that. Government. I mean, that's, it, not, there's never, there's yeah. nothing like this has ever happened <laughs> before. Compare. Don't try to okay. compare anything. It, okay. it, it's crazy. This is total insanity. And remember, the deal was done in December. 100% of the senators voted for it. The mm -hmm. House passed it. The President, Trump, said he would sign it. It got to his desk, and because Ann Coulter and Rush Limbaugh said, don't do it, he stopped. Mm -hmm. So the reason we are having a shutdown is because Ann Coulter and Rush Limbaugh basically, are running the U.S. government. 
That, and, and that's insane on every level. I mean, I can't even go how far that is insane. And, it, and there's never been anything like this. So last December, when they passed this bill, it was done already. And it was done exactly as Trump had approved in advance. Gets to his desk, he changed his mind because of Ann Coulter and Rush Limbaugh. That's crazy. Now, the Democrats first tried putting all those same bills back on Mitch McConnell's desk and saying, look, we'll vote for them the way you Republicans wrote them, because those are Republican bills. Mitch McConnell still has not been willing to let those come to the floor of the Senate. So at this point, it's not just the buffoon who would be king, it's his aide-de-camp Mitch McConnell. Mm -hmm. It's actually now the Trump shutdown, the McConnell shutdown. And I don't want to hear anybody again on television talk about, oh, well, they're looking for a compromise. Baloney. All they're looking for is a way for Trump to save face for something preposterously stupid he did. And he's taking us all, and it's not just the, the 800, I want to get this question, it is not just the 800,000 employees that are hostage. It's the millions of people who interact with those 800,000 employees. Yeah, the, the, the contractors, the people down The contractors. In fact, I have a good friend who's owed $650,000 by the federal government for absolutely vital equipment that he supplies to them, and his, um, he can't get paid. And so he, he was expecting, because you, you give the government on your credit, you know, you go, yeah. that's a good credit, that doesn't get any better. And so he didn't make any arrangements for what to do if the government didn't pay his bill. He just assumed it was as good as he, cash. He's got they payroll. Owed it to him. He's, he's got, got payroll. payroll. He's, he's got vendors. He's got rent. He's got telephone. He's got all the things that go into a business. And when you get hit like this, and I think uh, Senator Bennett yesterday from Colorado, in response to an absolutely insane set of comments that Ted Cruz made, Bennett, who was a very low-key guy, who almost never talks in the Senate, certainly never talks bad about any other senator, said that he saw these crocodile tears of Ted Cruz as symptomatic of a much deeper illness. He said, you know, this Senator Cruz is the last guy who brought the government to a halt to a shutdown. And Bennett started ticking off all of the small businesses that were destroyed because of that, that never will reopen. So you're not 800,000 employees to the bad right now. And you're not just the six billion plus that we've already cost the economy, growing at about 1.3 billion a week. It's much, much, much worse than that. So now, what can you do? Well, one small step we've taken here at uh, the World Business Academy is we bought a bunch of mugs. So Stephen oh, yeah, Colbert right. went on air and said, hey, we made up these mugs and said, don't even talk to me until I've got my paycheck. Cute idea. And the reason he was selling them is he wanted 100% of his proceeds to go to uh, Chef Jose Andres because Jose Andres is now feeding, he believes, 200,000 meals a day to unemployed federal workers or federal workers who are employed and can't get paid. Not getting paid. Mm -hmm. so, uh, so all the money is going to go to to buy food, so Jose Andres, who for free is cooking it for all these people. And and Jose Andres, I, I can't remember the name of his nonprofit, but he's been feeding folks in Puerto Rico, in Houston, with all the hurricanes. They come in and they set up a, a, a kitchen, an instant kitchen in the Superdome or different places to actually feed people when uh, the infrastructures collapsed. Yeah, he's a really good guy. And, and, really and he, good, and really he sees, a good, good guy. He sees actually. that as his contribution. So now before we leave this crazy shutdown thing, I just want to touch on one other thing. We've had some nutsy moments since 2016, 20, yeah, 2018, excuse me. And one of them that's really crazy is what Wilbur Ross, the, the Secretary of Commerce, said. Now, for those of you who don't know, Wilbur Ross has alternatively claimed to be a multi-billionaire, and Forbes has usually corrected him to say, well, you're worth somewhere between 200 to 750 million. Now, it's still a lot of money. Still a lot of money. And the way he got that money was as a money launderer. Mm. So 
Wilbur's main claim to fame was vice chairman of the Bank of Cyprus, who made all the, quote, loans, close quote, that made Trump rich without adequate collateral so that Russian oligarchs could launder money through the Bank of Cyprus. By the way, Wilbur Ross was appointed by Vladimir Putin, just to give you some idea how deep this goes, as the co-chair of the Bank of Cyprus. The other co-chair is a Russian, also appointed by Putin. <laughs> so, so this guy who basically has made his money as a money launderer is worth hundreds of millions of dollars, who's the most frequent cabinet member who falls asleep at cabinet meetings, I want to point out. <laughs> Wilbur Ross says, I don't understand why people are having, well, just go to a bank and get a loan. Yeah. Why, why are they eating at soup kitchens? Why, why are they eating free food? Why are they going to food get a banks? Loan. We'll pay them eventually. Can't they take a loan take on, a on loan. future And By the way, it is what's tragic. He's the Secretary of Commerce, and he goes out and he says, and they're, gonna, they're federally guaranteed loans. No, the deposits <laughs> are federally guaranteed. The loans are not. Okay, So, Wilbur, you don't even know that yeah. because he's used to making loans that doesn't matter whether they get repaid or not because they're part of a money laundering scheme. Also, when you take a loan, it affects your credit score, and one of the one of the things that federal workers have to protect is their credit score because they Plus, could, they could lose their job if they have look, their credit score. Drops. If you're working paycheck to paycheck, the last thing you need is another bill paying back. Absolutely, and you have to pay well, interest on top of that. Interest, even if it's a low interest, Although, it's still several points. I do want to point out, and I'm happy about this. Some of the federal employee credit unions are now providing interest-free loans, Good. temporarily, which is great. That is. For those that do, thank you for supporting our federal employees. Mm -hmm. um, I wish I could do more for our federal employees because I believe, um, like when I go through the TSA, I'll thank them all for working mm -hmm. on Monday. And by the way, I'm going to have to leave here. Another cost of this that nobody's measuring. I'm going to leave this office more than an hour earlier than I would have left mm -hmm. had there been no strike because they're advertising for TSA employees at my local airport, which means they aren't going to have enough. Mm -hmm. And I'm going to be conceivably stuck. So I got to be, okay, how many hours should I sit in the airport just so I make sure I don't miss my flight? All of these things together are the hidden costs of this insanity. How did we get here? Donald Trump basically said he'd be proud to shut down the government for weeks, months, or years if we don't give him $5 billion for his wall. So that's, to me, hostage taking, mm -hmm. pure and simple. And I'm, I don't want to hear another reporter say to me, well, they're looking for a compromise. No, they're not. No, they're asking for him to release the hostages. Right. You, and once the hostages are released, we can negotiate anything yeah. about border security. Don't negotiate with terrorists. You Isn't can't. that one of our rules? It is a rule. And the reason is, if you do, there's no end to the next terrorist exactly. strike. Yeah. So you give in to him here where he's so blatantly, obviously crazy about this, where it's so wrong on every level. It's morally wrong. It's legally wrong. It's economically wrong. All of these reasons. And yet, if you say, okay, well, we'll give you $5 because what the heck. What All you're telling him is... You can do anything, no matter how outrageous. Mm -hmm. And it's time that we say to this buffoon who would be king, you are not a king. You are a buffoon. And in fact, what you're doing, I believe, and this is an excellent, excellent metaphor to wrap up this topic. This is a man who went bankrupt six times, which means he didn't know when to stop. He just kept pushing and pushing and pushing. He went further and further into bad business practices until he couldn't get out, and the only way out was bankruptcy. Mm -hmm. Four of those six bankruptcies were complete liquidations, meaning there was nothing left. Two of them were reorganizations, meaning very little left and all had to be resorted. What, he's, what you're watching right now, played out large on the U.S. scale, we're going to translate it to the global scale in a moment, is he's taking the country bankrupt. Yeah. He's bankrupting the company, country, mm -hmm. just like he bankrupted six companies because he doesn't understand when his ego's got to be reined in mm -hmm. so he doesn't destroy the country. And, and I started to talk a while ago about the federal workforce. We have a lot of people with PhDs in the federal workforce. They're not going to come back to work. Why would they? Mm -hmm. So he's going to hollow out 
the people who do keep our food safe, who make sure they can track down the outbreak of viruses before they become pandemics, who are watching to see that our planes land safely. Which goes to one of the other things we were, we, is on our agenda today, talking about hollowing out of the middle class in general. I mean, the, yes. the, the, the government workers is just one aspect of that, but the whole American middle class has lost its center. Yes. It's lost it's, its ability to... to well, it's lost its resilience. Resilience, exactly. It's lost its ability to come back from one more bad mm -hmm. hit. And this new one, which is, you know, it was, it's totally unrequired. Mm -hmm. Okay, nobody did this but Trump. It was nobody in the world thought this was going to happen but Trump. It's a, it's, it's the temper tantrum of a five-year-old. And if the Republicans don't get some nerve soon, they will be blamed, and they should be, mm -hmm. because they are the, they are the people who were put in charge of the nursery when they're this five-year-old the, was the there. They're the enablers. They're the enablers. They're, they're supposed situation. to be the adults in the room. It's called congressional oversight. No. no. So, Mitch McConnell. This is your shutdown. I call it the Trump-McConnell shutdown, pure and simple. With that in mind, I want to talk about two other things that this buffoon is doing that is really crazy. First of all, I want to talk about Venezuela. 14 people killed two days ago in riots. The country is blowing apart. And Trump unilaterally, with very little preparation, jumps in the middle of it and says, okay, we're going to support the democratically elected head of the assembly against Maduro. So it's the one uh, dictator he doesn't like? Actually, yes, he doesn't like it, but there's a reason. And, and watch this, folks, because this is really interesting. Hmm. So you're going to hear that he's, go he's butting heads with Putin because Putin supports Maduro, and therefore he's demonstrating his independence from Putin by supporting the guy who would take Maduro down. What's interesting is, actually, Putin wins the more chaotic Venezuela gets. So if the, Dem if, if, if the Americans step in on the side of the insurgents... Which is uh, Juan... Juan uh, Guaido, Guaido, Guaido. Guaido. When the Americans get in the middle, it gives Maduro the opportunity to say, you see, the Yankees are trying to do regime change like they've always been doing. They colonize Latin America. They're, they're at it again. It basically makes him more legitimate, Maduro, mm -hmm. and makes the fight bigger, and it blows it up because now there's like six countries that are... Except so it's a, sort of a shell game. Ah, but why is, why is Putin interested in having that game mm -hmm. happen? I'll tell you why. Because, you know, he controls Trump if he wants. He can call him up mm -hmm. and say, stop. Because right now, Venezuela still pumps 500,000 barrels of oil a day. Mm -hmm. Down from a million, but 500,000. Every barrel takes money out of Putin's pocket. Mm -hmm. So the bigger the fight in Venezuela, the more the state of Venezuela will collapse. That 500,000 barrels a day will go off the market, and the price of oil will go up, and that's what Putin wants. Because mm -hmm. Putin's way of surviving in his, his economy, which is not that good, mm -hmm. is by selling oil. And mm -hmm. if he can get the price of oil up by another 10 bucks a barrel, he wins. And if he's got to do that by putting the entire country of Venezuela into a completely chaotic state, he'll do it. And he, it's in his interest also to keep America in a chaotic state. Yeah. It keeps no, America in a chaotic it, state. No, it, it, yeah. it so, adds to that in addition. So I, my wife was asking, she said, so what do you think we should do about this Venezuela thing? I mean, Maduro's the bad guy. Yes, but you know what? We should not be in the middle of that. No. You know, I, it's like, wait a minute. Like, we, th there's no win for us there at all. No. If there's more chaos, they pump less oil, we're the biggest customer, we have to pay more for oil. Right. It's crazy. If, and, the, and the less oil they pump, the more Putin gets. And the Saudis, they love it when mm -hmm. Venezuela's in chaos. You know, Venezuelan oil is called... 
light crude, meaning it's the cheapest one to refine because there's the least amount of sulfur in it. So it's the premium grade you want. The only other light crude of its type is in the Middle East. It's in Saudi Arabia. And of course. Yeah. And so the, the idea that somehow Putin wants there to be peace in Venezuela, doesn't, people don't understand Putin. He's yes. much more, he's a better yeah. chess player than that. Yeah. In a nation of chess players, he's the best. So that's the most recent crazy thing this administration is doing. But now I want to... The other one. <laughs> the other one is the global economy. Yeah. So let's talk about the global economy. So we are now in a situation where the democratically elected governments of most of the Western democratic countries are in serious trouble. Germany, obviously Angela Merkel being forced to step down to heading her party. Clearly, the, the, the yellow vest uproar in France is France. damaging Macron, Macron badly. Brexit has crippled England. I'm going to come back to that in just a moment because it's too big a story to just pass lightly on. Um, Spain is hanging in there right now. Italy's a complete basket case. Mm -hmm. And so when you, and when you look around Western Europe, you go, oh my goodness, they're going to see declining global trade for two reasons. One, their economies are now increasingly being hit by their own negative politics and by the ripple effect of the Chinese and the American fight. Mm -hmm. So the other thing that Trump did that was crazy is he started the trade war. And when he started that trade war with China and other people, he didn't understand the nature of trade. Still doesn't, probably. And what is happening is it's reducing the volume of economic activity in the second largest economy in the world, China, and also in the largest, U.S. Mm -hmm. And by the way, you got to think Putin just loves oh, absolutely. the way it's, that the it's, Trump... It's perfectly in his playbook. It, it's right in his playbook. And, you know, the, the best investment the guy ever made was, you know, letting him money launder for Compromise. 10 years. Oh, my God. <laughs> for Trump. Yeah. So the, back to the global economic part of this, because this is more about global economics than it is about politics. Although, in, in the face of what's going on, you can't not talk about no, politics. No, uh, but you can't, you can't separate the two. Can't separate the two. So what we have here is a global economy... Uh, let me put a number to the Chinese situation. So the Chinese numbers never are never accurate. They, whenever they put out a number, everybody tries to interpolate what the real number is. So when they were claiming 10, 11% growth per year, people were going, hmm, probably closer to eight or nine. But they've been on a growth spurt now for two decades. This most recent announcement just a couple weeks ago by the Chinese government that their, that their growth for this year, 2019, will be about six, six and a half percent, sounds like it's great. My guess is it's probably closer to 2%, 3%. Here's what's really interesting. Even though you can't trust any single number that the Chinese release, you can trust a pattern. This is the lowest growth number they've released in over 20 years. Yeah. So it means that they know their economy is slowing, mm -hmm. and all the indications are it's slowing. So why is it slowing? Because, and even, even though American trade deficit with them is growing, it's just predictable. So the Chinese are reacting to the trade war. And by the way, they, they gave Trump a huge break. People haven't noticed. They have permitted soybeans to be sold again, not in as large quantities before, but they're allowing American soybeans to be sold in China again. They're doing that as a favor to Trump because mm -hmm. he was getting under such pain. Now, those same farmers, by the way, who are looking for relief from what the trade war has done to them, none of them are going to get the loans they were promised or the, or the cash supports because the well, government's closed. The, government's, the, the, the government Department of Agriculture is not, not in business right now. So the, 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 they're getting whacked again, yeah. even though they thought they were coming up for air. No. And this is what Trump has done. Every time the economy starts to come up for air, he, he whacks it again yeah. for no good reason. The well, the compounding, the, the compounding. Yeah, the compounding effects. effect of it is so. So if, if the Chinese growth is down to say three, four percent, which is probably realistic, U.S. growth this year will be very low. I'm going to say 
even though we'll be in a deep recession by 20, the end of 2019, because we'll be growing a little bit in the first two quarters. Now, maybe growth for the full year will be 1.72%. Inflation will be at least 2%, meaning we aren't growing at all. Mm -hmm. And it could be worse. Flat. We could we could go below flat. Germany probably will have a slight uptick, maybe a point and a half of real growth. France not, Italy not. I mean, so you start, and certainly not in, in the UK. So what's happening is global the global economy is slowing down. Yeah. And, and, and the thing about the global economy is, when you got it working right and everything's firing on all cylinders, it's not that easy to put it back on all cylinders when you quit screwing it up. Mm -hmm. So if you, to a metaphor many people know, if you put sugar in somebody's gas tank, the car ain't gonna run, mm -hmm. just not gonna run. So what we ought to be asking is, who's putting sugar in a gas tank and why, and what can we do to stop them? Mm -hmm. And the answer is, the Trump administration is putting sugar in the domestic gas tank and in the global world marketplace gas tank. And the only thing you can do to stop them is if the Republican senators will stand up and begin to do oversight of the of, of And the Trump actually do their jobs. Do their jobs that they were elected to do. And if they don't, the blue wave of this last year, 2018, will be a picnic compared to what's going to happen to them when they've got, I think, 30 Republican senators up for mm -hmm. re-election. Mm -hmm. And you're starting to see it because seven of them already crossed over the line, including, I think, uh, the biggest threat they've got is Mitt Romney. He voted for the Democratic bill. Good for him. Yeah, and Good so did a number of others, including okay. Lisa Murkowski. Yeah. So so I think, I think what we're talking about here is the inevitability is the thing is going to have to end. Trump this last week tried this gambit, I don't know what to call it, with, with Pelosi to see if he could bluff his way into, the, into the, the Congress to give his State of the Union. She slammed him down. And he turned around and said, okay, I accept that. I mean, it's like his bluff was called and he, he backed off. Yeah. So I think he's met his match in Nancy Pelosi. The trouble is that standoff is not doing any of us any good. No. And it's hurting the global economy. It is. Speaking of shrinking economies, you were talking about Brexit earlier. And I think that's one of the the next stories you wanted yeah. to, to get into. Yeah, I want to go into Brexit because, you know, uh, first of all, Brexit never made, never, ever made sense. Never did. So how Brexit passed was two, two things came together. One was an intentional misrepresentation of what Brexit would look like that the British public was fed, and two, overt Russian interference right. to get it passed. Yeah. Even with that, it passed only with 51%. Mm -hmm. There's been an argument made that if the British people were to go back to the polls and vote for Brexit again, that would be somehow um, defying the democratic process. I'd say it's the opposite. I think that's a very weak argument because what it really says is now that the British public has an inkling of what the cost of Brexit is, we'll come back to that cost in a minute, and now that they know the Russians were part of how it got passed in the first place so they can guard against it a second time, I believe a plebiscite, meaning a vote of the residents of the United Kingdom, will come out in favor of staying in the staying European in the Union, mm -hmm. which makes all the sense in the world. Their largest customer by far is the EU. They're, uh, you know, just yesterday, you know, last, today is Friday, so I guess it was on Wednesday I saw, or Tuesday or Wednesday I saw a statistic that $1 trillion of bank activity has already left the UK. $1 trillion. That's about 10%. I think it's actually 12.5% of the British GDP is the it's banking. 12.5%, even worse. Yeah. Okay. And, and, and that's with the threat of Brexit, where people are still betting it's not going to happen. What's going to happen when, when Brexit, if they were to Brexit, then now it would be a hard Brexit, meaning like... They have no deal at all. They have no deal. The, <laughs> the banks have already started relocating. Mm -hmm. They've picked uh, Paris as their principal yeah, the destination. Uh... Less than the Netherlands, but mostly Paris. Mm -hmm. and, and the result is that that banking sector, which was a 
eight to ten trillion dollar sector is going to be down, whittled down to two trillion. Mm -hmm. Now, Anthony Blair, the former prime minister of the UK, was interviewed last Saturday, Sunday, on the Fareed Zakaria show, and in it, he and, and you know Blair has never been a fan of Brexit. Has always thought it was dumb, which it is, incredibly stupid idea. Well. Um, he said, it, it, now that the British people know that the short-term costs of Brexit are going to be basically almost incalculable, it's just it's huge what's going to happen, and the intermediate-term costs also look to be extremely bleak, he means in the two- to five-year period. He said, and we don't know yet what the long-term costs will be. And I can tell you for a fact what the long-term costs will be. Not since Queen, and, and the Queen I'm going to pick is the very first Elizabeth R., so 400 years ago, England was a small little island getting trommeled by the Continentals regularly. People forget the Norman Conquest was the French in 1099, right? Taking over the British. And to this day, they never left, right? So the fights that went on with the Hundred Years' War and all that stuff kept England this small, tiny little blip on the edge of Europe until Elizabeth came along. And what she was able to do through its sea power and through an incredible amount of sophistication with their diplomatic skills, built the island nation into an empire. Mm -hmm. And that empire grew and grew and grew for 400 years. This is the end of the British Empire, and it will never, ever, ever be reconstituted. And in fact, this is the end of the British nation. The UK as a country is never going to have anything like the economy it has right now and has enjoyed since, say, 1800. It will never happen again ever as big as it did, most likely. What brought the last 200 years of prosperity to the British nation was they led the Industrial Revolution. And I don't see them being able to develop the economic, scientific, and educational base to create the next innovation that would equal the Industrial Revolution. Right. Those are coming out of Silicon Valley if it's, if it's about if, chips, if, and it's coming out of yeah. San Diego if it's bio. Right. Or, I mean, it, that's if we in the U.S. continue to support our scientific community, which is a question mark. Well, no, I think putting, take us away for a second. Because I, I, you've got Asia, um, you've got other other places yeah. in the world which are actually the, on What I'm the saying rise. is they're not even a competitor. I mean, even mm -hmm. as bad as we're getting hollowed out in this country right now with education, I mean, look what student debt's doing. Mm -hmm. uh, look at the number of really talented people who can't even think of going to college. It's just insane. I mean, I, I, I think people on the show know I'm for universal education for free up through mm -hmm. college. Yeah, I think. Uh, and I think the majority of the population of the country now believes that's true. I mean, just like we, we, we pioneered public education in the 1800s. We were the first country to adopt universal education in high school. And so we should be the first country adopting universal education through college. And we're not. I mean, right no, now, I can go to I, Germany. I think there's other places that are already funding their students. Oh, yeah, no, Germany. I can go to Germany. I don't even have to become a German citizen. Mm -hmm. I can stay an American citizen, go to a German university for free, books and tuition, and come home back to America. And they'll do that because they see it as an investment in the next generation. Mm -hmm. Well, what I was saying about the UK is Brexit, should it go through, will so traumatize all the key systems that are required to deal with innovation that it will go back to being a small little farming blip mm -hmm. you know, across the channel from Europe. A small island nation with a, a tiny small economy. small island nation with is, a tiny has economy. has no influence in the world. It's, and so when Tony Blair says, oh, I don't know what the long term The long term is you're going to unwind 400 years of what you built. And, and with all the mistakes and the things that the UK has done right over the years, I would say they built enormous institutions of incredible power and capability, mm -hmm. not to mention the, the birthplace of parliamentary democracy. Mm -hmm. But I think that the, the British have no idea how bad it's going to be. 
now that they're getting an inkling of that, and we predicted on the show it would be crazy. There's no way you could get a decent deal that would no. make sense. If they go through with it, it's, it's collective suicide. And I would say the only rational thing is to give the people a chance to vote now that they know the Russians interfered with the last election that they had and they know the true cost of Brexit. Mm -hmm. So that's, that's the Brexit. And, and, and so where do I come out on the global economy? The global economy this year, although the IMF has, reduced, has lowered its expectation, I think they're still too optimistic. I don't think the global economy is going to grow by certainly not more than 1.5%. And that's because India is doing so well mm -hmm. and China will do 3 or 4%. Uh, and the U.S. will be flat or slightly up, but not quite as to inflation. I'm seeing the global economy keeping up with inflation or slightly behind it. Mm -hmm. So kind of a no-growth scenario. Mm -hmm. Now, what does that mean for stock prices? What does it mean for other ways you can hold your money? Well, what it means is that we're going to go into a period in 2019 where uh, I believe the stock market, and we got a great question from one of our regular listeners who said, gee, now that the market seems to have leveled back off and has you know, got through that bad period in 2018 and it, it dropped six points, but now it's coming back up again, is it time to get back in the market? And as I said last month, absolutely not. Mm -hmm. The worst is yet to come. I'm looking at, in the U.S. domestic markets, I'm looking at 20% decline in the markets this year. Two zero. Hmm. And I'm hoping that's all it is. I'm hoping that the recession that we enter in 2019 is only one of the worst recessions of all time. I'm hoping it's not worse than 2008. It very well could be. I'm hoping it's not worse than 2001. Almost certainly will be. Mm -hmm. And there's, an, I would say, a 50-50 chance it could lead to a depression. And given what I've just said about the instability of the globe, you would see that that quickly would, could spread to a global depression. Spiral out of control. So we're talking so serious, serious things that we need to watch. So the stock market is not where you want to have your money. And similarly, as I said in the prior show, it's not a good time to own bonds. I mean, if you can, if you can buy it and sell it every day, and there are bond, bond funds that you can do that with, uh, you, could, you could make a decent return, probably 3 4%. But you got to hope that the crash doesn't happen the day that you're selling. Mm -hmm. And I'm nervous that people with small amounts of savings would get into that kind of a hustle. It's just too dangerous. Uh, so where does that leave you? Well, I've talked about gold. Uh, gold continues to do, it's holding its value. In fact, I think it's going to go up. Last show, we, re we noticed that for the first time, uh, people seem to be detaching it from the value of oil, which is an indication of gold as a, as a hedge to inflation. Mm -hmm. So gold went up when the oil price of oil went up. It went down when the price of oil went down. And it broke apart. And now it's working in inverse. So when the price of oil goes up... Gold goes down. Gold goes down. And vice versa. And vice versa. Mm -hmm. Why? Because people are afraid of instability. Gold has two purposes. One is a hedge against instability and the other is against inflation. And what, what seems to be happening in the gold market is that people now are equally bothered by the threat of systemic challenges, like we've been discussing, as well as the, what appears to be the inevitability of inflation. So you've got, you know, we haven't had this since the Reagan years. We haven't had what's called stagflation. No, Nixon years, actually. Stagflation is when you have a rising inflation and a declining economy. Mm. It's the worst conceivable economic thing to get into. And that's where we could end up this year. Mm -hmm. We could. Now, I don't think we're going to for this reason. I do believe that the inflationary forces hitting the country are going to be muted in great part by the decline in economic activity. So with the hollowed out middle class not being able to purchase as much, and because we are a nation where 70 
5% of the economy is consumers. Consumer economy, exactly. Uh, it seems to me that's not going to, um, not going to fly. Um, Ocasio-Cortez uh, proposed a new tax, which I think is a brilliant idea. I was delighted to see Krugman came out in favor of it at mm -hmm. the same time I did. Uh, for those of you who aren't familiar with it, she basically what she wants to do is to create a tax on the, on the very wealthy. Mm -hmm. And it makes a lot of sense because it won't affect their consumption. They got all the benefits in the last, most, you know, they got 90% of the benefits of the last tax deduction, so they give some of that back, et cetera. Elizabeth Warren yesterday did something even more interesting. She's proposed her new tax system. And her tax, unlike Ocasio-Cortez, her tax is based on wealth. So what it does, listen to this. So Cortez is on income and then- Income, and, it's, and, 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 and okay. what she's doing is trying to improve the graduated income system, which right. I think is right because it's what, yeah. badly out of whack. It's badly out of whack, absolutely. You know, um, when I think it was a, either Cortez or Warren observed, if you were a, a person with $75,000 worth of income because you were two teachers in a high school, mm -hmm. that's, it's tough to live with a family in $75,000 a year. It's not easy anymore. No, it's not. It's family of four, it's very tough. Or you, even yeah, or if you were the same person and you made seventy-five thousand, a different person, but you made seventy-five thousand from your investments, but you had fifty million in the bank, you would be taxed identically. You'd pay the same tax as the two people struggling on seventy-five thousand dollars a year as the person with fifty million, who was paying tax on seventy-five thousand worth of income. That's crazy. It is. That's right. So what Warren said, which I thought was really good, she said, "Why don't we put a tax on anybody who's got fifty million dollars or more?" On the theory that if they got that much, the tax isn't going to hurt them. Right. Okay? So it's a very small, it's like 1%. If they've got a billion, she said, this is where I really love it, they can pay 3%. And I'm thinking to myself, that makes sense because if they paid a little bit more for the country that delivered all this wealth to them, it would begin to give us the ability to put that money back into the middle class. Right. And that's what we need to do. And the way to do it is with infrastructure spending among other things. So we're big fans here and always have been of infrastructure spending. It's got to be paid for. Uh, but it's not really spending. It's investment. It's investment. That's, thank you for saying that because that's absolutely true. It's not spending. It's investment. It's, it's what you need to make the country work right. and the economy work. Right. Here's an interesting one. If you look at the infrastructure spending, for example, and you say, okay, that could employ all kinds of American workers because you can't outsource a job to build a bridge. Right. And you could, you could even stipulate American steel over foreign steel if you wanted to. I don't think it's smart, but you could. With infrastructure spending, it creates tons of middle-class jobs. Mm -hmm. you, you, you start building bridges and highways, and thankfully, we have all kinds of railroads we have to build that we never built. Mm -hmm. uh, and well, you can even put that towards the quotes Green New Deal, where you're in, you're exactly. building a renewable infrastructure, exactly. a new energy economy exactly. infrastructure, and that creates tons of jobs, right? And pumps up the economy. And we could get this thing flying again. It's, it's amazing how strong the country's economy was going into this Trump debacle because we could come back out of it. But, but every day is costing us more. Every day we're going a little more into the bankruptcy. And so we have to be very careful of it. So where I come up with oil prices, uh, first with gold prices, I, I, if you're not 15 to 20% in gold, get there. And uh, there are ways you can even buy gold coins directly from the U.S. Mint at the price of a gold ounce with no markup. So, and if you don't want to buy gold itself, and I don't blame you, as the actual metal, you can buy a fund, I think GLD is the name of it, where they hold the gold in, mm -hmm. in your name. Okay, so gold is a good hedge, 15% of your portfolio or more. Because if things get really crazy, <laughs> and they are getting there, gold will be a hedge against um, the devaluation of the dollar. The oil price, and not even the devaluation, the, the devaluation of the economic capacity, mm -hmm 
and the ability for you to purchase things. Okay. Uh, so it's like, how do you, what, what do you do when things get crazier and crazier? Right. People tend to buy gold as mm -hmm. the last hedge mm -hmm. against mm -hmm. fear. Oil prices are going to continue to go sideways or down. Even if Putin's successful and he can stir up the Venezuelan things so they're fighting like crazy, and all 500,000 barrels a day disappear. It's a short-term thing. Mm -hmm. It'll get made up by U.S. fracking, mm -hmm. by Saudi Arabian pumping, by Russia's pumping more, of course. Mm -hmm. So, you know, would it add five, ten bucks a barrel? Yeah, in the short run, it'll add at least ten dollars a barrel. In the long run, yeah. it's not going to work. But we're we're eleven dollars a barrel lower than we were this time last year. Right. Already. So, All right. So you'd be you know. back to last year, but then but the floor didn't cut out from underneath you because it's not going to get any better. For right. You. Right. And uh, there's not going to be additional sanctions on Iran. And I would make the case that the sanctions that are there are already full of holes and mm -hmm. are going to get mm -hmm. more Swiss cheesy. So oil's not going anywhere in price. In fact, I, I continue to believe that David Vogel, who has this fund where he shorts gold, it's a good bet. I think that the gold, gold well, I, she shorts oil, excuse me. I think that oil stocks today, when you look at the big six oil companies, are all overvalued dramatically. You could short sell them and you would not lose money. I think they're, and I don't recommend short selling for people who are not in the market playing regularly, but if you were to short sell it, I can guarantee you three years from today, those stocks will be lower and five years yeah. even lower still. Well, the, the companies are valued on on assets which are in the ground, which will likely never be pumped. pumped. Yeah, the reserves. And, and there was a great article that Matt Tahibi wrote in yeah. Rolling Stone on that very topic. And that's exactly true. The, the, the When you pump if you have a reserve, which is identified oil that you own or control in the ground, you're allowed to add that to your balance sheet. The trouble is that the cost of pumping and delivering that oil is so prohibitive, you'll never do it. The best example is the nation of Brazil, where the uh, last estimate I saw a couple of years ago to get the deep water oil up was going to cost them 75 to $80 at the wellhead, which means they'd have to price it at $110 a barrel to make any money because you've got to get it from the well to the refinery, from which the refinery to the, to the gas tank. So it's not going to ever happen. Unrealistic, which is never going to get pumped. I think they're calling this the carbon bubble in certain, in certain yeah. circles. It's like a once it pops, it'll it'll deflate yeah. the cost of oil stocks. And, and, you know, sooner or later, more enlightened countries mm -hmm. are going to start putting carbon taxes in place that are yeah. real, that are meaningful, yeah. and that's going to further reduce it. So I think the next thing we want to talk about is Tesla and the automobile companies. Yeah. And the reason I want to talk about that is because. I've never been a Tesla fan, as people probably know. One, I think their battery technology is terrible. It's lithium-ion cobalt, which is very dangerous. It catches fire, as people know. But um, I always thought that the, the debt of gratitude I had to Elon Musk for that company has to do with his having made it cool to drive electric cars. Right. And I'm grateful for that. Mm -hmm. But when he, when he put that idea together and decided he was going to be a bigger car company than General Motors, he wasn't thinking through how that industry works. Mm -hmm. And so he's now, he's now been in a situation where he is clearly in a world of trouble. Mm -hmm. uh, I don't see how Tesla can make it. Uh, I just don't see how it's going to survive in its current form. I could see it getting acquired by a Ford or a GM or a Chrysler or, or a... Um, Renault? No, <laughs> no, not Renault because of all the turmoil the other, there because yeah. Goshen is in jail and they just appointed a new chairman yesterday and... Uh, there were no Mitsubishi, Nissan, uh, Triumvirate. Uh, it's going to be hurting for a while because of what has happened mm -hmm. to Goshen. No, I think uh, it is an argument that Fiat Chrysler could make okay. it work. 
Uh, there's an argument GM could, that Ford could, that Daimler Chrysler could. Mm -hmm. So there are some places it could land. Um, in fact, I wouldn't put it past the Chinese to think of buying them. Mm -hmm. Because with that big plant they're opening in China, mm -hmm. the Chinese would have a distinct advantage if they took over Tesla. Because mm -hmm. uh, they'd have a captive market that they could sell into, and that would give them a competitive advantage over all the other mm -hmm. options. So I think that Tesla's in a world of hurt. I don't think General Motors is. I think General Motors is playing it exactly right. Yes, they're laying off Even some people. Even though they have closing factories yeah, because they have cutting, because, look, cutting, cutting you, workforce. When the total number of units purchased drops, mm -hmm. if you don't close factories, you're, you're doing something crazy. Mm -hmm. Now, I don't like factory closures, but that's not because we're getting out-competed. It's because the total market's dropping. Right. People are not buying cars like they used to. No, and they, and they, and they shouldn't have to because we don't have the same obsolescence factors. Mm -hmm. So to me, and, and the middle class is hollowed out. That's who buys cars and trucks. And younger people are moving away from using personal cars. Yeah, and, 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 and which is a good idea. Yeah. I mean, the transportation system is going through a major discontinuity. Absolutely. I, I don't know if you saw it, by the way, but the, uh, the nation of Spain is now deciding, Catalonia has already done it, they might ban Uber and Lyft because uh, they're saying that the, the taxi cab drivers have too big a Mm -hmm. too, too big a stake in the mm -hmm. old system. But that's going to hurt them long term. But in the short term, it's going to hurt Uber and Lyft right. because Spain yeah. is setting a new trajectory. Well, the other thing when you bring Uber and Lyft into a city, like public transportation drops. Uh, other, other forms of transportation also drop. Well, that's because of short-sighted political decisions. Mm -hmm. I mean, it, it should be the exact opposite. Mm -hmm. In yeah, fact, they all, it really it should, it be, should be the exact opposite because, you know, there shouldn't be a private vehicle on Manhattan, frankly. Mm -hmm. Either you should be a taxi cab driver, Uber or Lyft driver, or a government employee, and the only and the trucks ought to go drop off at night, mm -hmm. and that would clean out Manhattan, and you could then well, get around town. Actually, uh, I just saw an article in the Optimist Daily about Oslo shutting down the city center largely to Makes to, sense. to car traffic, yeah. and it's been a huge success for 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 their. And, uh, and you know, London's been doing that for center. a number of years on a modified basis. They've mm -hmm. been closing down sections of the center city. Anyway, the gigafactory that, that Tesla's going to buy in China, uh, I think may be the way for him to indict, for Elon Musk to entice the Chinese to maybe even mm -hmm. buy his whole company. And when the price of the stock drops to reflect the fact that it's otherwise terminal, I think the Chinese could very well be his buyer. Um, and they love being in the international car business, and that's a great way to jumpstart them. Uh, I think that there are, as I say, I think General Motors is responding well to the challenges and going into new technologies. Mm -hmm. I think Ford continues and has had trouble for many, many years mm -hmm. in Europe. I'm nervous about Ford. It, mm -hmm. it, it, its business is built on the sale of trucks in America, and I think that's a very questionable long-term mm -hmm. proposition. Mm -hmm. I think they're trying to get their feet on the ground again, but they really haven't done a good job, and it's surprising given that Bill Ford, who's still alive, was an ardent environmentalist. So why aren't, weren't they leading the switch to electric vehicles? Why weren't they leading? I mean, GM's got the Volt. It's got the Bolt. Um, Nissan has the Leaf. Um, Toyota has the, the Mirai as well as the, Pri the Prius yeah. line. I think Toyota's uh, investing even more heavily in the hydrogen. Yes, uh, they are. It's really well. great news. And I think that's really interesting. Yeah, uh, that's a great story. And, and we aren't going to have time today, but Toyota is really getting into hydrogen in a big way. And that's great because I drive a Toyota hydrogen Mirai. vehicle. I yeah. And I got to yeah. tell you, I love it. And mm -hmm. so. Uh, and, and the thing that's so good about it is when we get through, and I'll do one quick story here on, on electricity, when we get through moving around, the getting rid of the electrical grid and putting in microgrids to replace it, which is an efficient way to use green energy, the, still the problem will be if you keep adding cars that use batteries, electric cars, 
you're going to be taking more and more strain and putting it on that source of electricity. And what we like to do is the exact opposite. With a hydrogen vehicle, you know, it takes me four minutes to fill it up, and uh, the hydrogen can come from any renewable energy source by electrolysis. It's a great way to go. So I'm going to, I'm going to sign off now but um, on that story because I just want to mention PG&E here in California is talking speaking, about... Speaking of bankruptcy. That's right. right? Speaking bankruptcy. of bankruptcy, it's about to go bankrupt. <laughs> and, um, and I think it's a really good thing if it happens. Uh, now, they got out of the tubs fires of yesterday. They're not going to be liable for that. But I think they're certainly going to get liable for the paradise. Yeah. And I think Edison's not far behind it. So why am I happy about it? Because if these two gargantuan companies that are like over 100 years old, the largest, some, two of the largest utilities in the world, if they really throw up the white flag and go, we can't make it work in this system, it gives us a chance to build a system of the future mm -hmm. instead of continuing to patch the system of the past, which catches fire in our forests in California. So I'm very excited about it. I'm glad that Aaron Brockovich, who's been fighting with PG for many years, came out in favor of the filing and thinks it's a good idea. I do too. Our associate Craig Lewis at the uh, Clean Coalition has spoken about it. Actually, she's she's suggesting that they shouldn't be allowed to no, file for that they shouldn't be allowed to be to file for bankruptcy. But what they should be allowed to do is to completely retrench PG. &E. Okay. Okay. And that's right. I, I disagree with the technique. I think letting them go bankrupt is a start. It, 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 the question then is, will the government, California government, Governor Newsom, will he hold their feet to the fire when they do go bankrupt? She's saying okay. no. They'll get away with it. Right, and that's the danger. And that's the danger. But, but I'm saying no. Yeah. When they go bankrupt, that's when we get power back over. Right. There. The thing that's interesting is in this, in today's energy environment, it's very different than it was 30 years ago because of the ability for locally generated renewable resources. Things have really changed. There's an, there's an alternative that individuals and communities can move towards to pressure these utilities. Yeah. Is that, is that true? Do you think that's well, the case? That we have more, that us ratepayers and the local communities have more power over these utilities well, than we did 30 years ago? Yes. With the Enron, for example, We do. Well, Enron was a, was a criminal scheme to use the intertie, which is these two long wires that go up the state of California for a thousand miles that control all the electricity going north and south. And what Enron did is artificially block that so they could create a spike in the market. And that was all illegal stuff, manipulation. But no, I think that what's happened, I mean, you know, take PG&E, it's an over 100-year-old utility. And the system that they built, which was based on the technology of 1880, long-distance transmission lines, the Academy has been saying for years now is no way to get, you, you can't run a modern nation with green energy doing that. So what you have to do is create the, the energy where it's used and, and transmission lines go away long-distance transmission lines. And, and, and it's clear that that's, I mean, it's now documented in so many different ways, not only here, but in India. It's the most efficient way. It's right. the least expensive way to do it. It's, it doesn't catch fire in the forest. Uh, you don't maintain these crazy long lines. And, and the example, as you know, Christy, I always give is in 1880 in Manhattan, when Alexander Graham Bell made his first phone call, he used a copper wire. And until 1970, everybody thought you had to have a copper wire to make a phone call. We found out that wasn't true. We invented cellular phones, and we went from 23% of the population on the planet having a phone to over 99, 98% has a phone mm -hmm. now. So the wire that worked for Bell worked for all of us for a while, but then started being the enemy. It right. was the thing that held us back. Same thing is true with transmission yeah. lines in, in electricity. And why that's funny is that long-distance transmission started the same exact decade in the same city, Manhattan, because of a fight between uh, Edison and, uh, and uh, Tesla. Tesla, speaking of. <laughs> and Tesla won. 
<laughs> Nikola Tesla, not Tesla the car. By the way, I don't, don't feel bad for Elon Musk because he's got a great space company, SpaceX. Right, and then there's the boring company, too. That could go either way. Yeah. I'm not sure what's going to happen with boring, but I just find it's anything it, but boring. I, I, yeah, I do find it um, ironic that we just were talking about Tesla the car company and uh, uh, PG&E and, and Southern California Edison. I mean, it's like Edison and Tesla again. Yeah. It's, right near. <laughs> it's, it's amazing. I, I want to do uh, two things for next week's show. Next month's show. I want to talk about why the Pentagon keeps trying to tell us that climate change is our biggest security risk. I want, I want to focus on that. Okay. And I also want to focus on what's happening in the climate change world. Because you know it's that old story of the boiling water and the frog. Yep. Uh, so it's here now. Climate change is here. It's, it's creating tremendous disruption, tremendous costs. And it's accelerating far faster than people know. This week... Um, uh, there's oh we just got a, a news flash from our our news bureau that's just down the hall that Trump just stopped the shutdown. Can't okay. wait to hear that. What a great way to end the show. Perfect <laughs> as he, as timing. As you predicted there. As I predicted, he would he, stop it because he had no choice. Soon. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> and All there's right. not going to be any money for any wall, yeah. I'm sure. Yeah. Well, with that, maybe we should maybe we should stop the radio show. We should well, we should stop with this. Okay. So what I want to talk about next time is I want to talk about climate change, the damage it's causing, what's in store for us, what that has to do with the global economy, and what it has to do with rebuilding America now that the shutdown's finally over. And and I can fly safely. Thank Yay. God I can fly without fear. Okay. Again, I also want to point out that George Lakoff is going to be a guest of ours in an upcoming. He solutions will. news. I'm, I'm hoping to get him in, in sometime in March. And I'm going to talk about him on the next show also. And okay. last but not least, I want to talk uh, a little bit on the next show about some things that are happening, like the governor of Idaho, which is a Republican governor. He's actually dealing with climate change when the Republicans have been saying there's no such thing. So there's some positive green shoots coming up. And remember, my favorite line always is, I've never seen or heard of a problem we can't solve using today's technology and today's resources if we choose to solve it. That's the premise of Solutions News. Hope you tune into that, and I hope you send us some questions for our next week. And, and don't thank forget you. to uh, sign up for Optimus Daily if you haven't already. Yes, that'll help you along. Absolutely. When you're having a down day, I, and, first thing I do is look at Optimus yeah. Daily. And Solutions News actually draws heavily from our news oh, yes. and Optimus yeah. Daily. Without doing Optimus Daily, we wouldn't have solutions. Mm -hmm. And uh, that's free service, folks, so you should be taking it up. Okay. Thanks, everybody, for listening. Um, and it's been uh, it's been interesting, and what a great way to end. The shutdown is over. Yay. Let's go take our new mugs, our Colbert mugs, <laughs> and uh, we can toast talk, it. We can talk to people now. <laughs>